0: and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome
1: or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan.
0: If you've been in the hobby for more than a day, then you know how fast the sports card market moves. There are no more options than ever to buy, sell, and research your cards. One of the most frustrating hurdles in the hobby is the fees when selling your cards. You know, those other popular marketplaces, the ones with their average seller transaction fee of 10%, the ones that don't have the seller's interest in mind. Wait, what? Who would do that? Well, hold on to your horses. No not those horses. Welcome to The Card Flip, a place where we want to provide a simple alternative to buying and selling cards. No clutter, just you, graded cards, sealed wax, and the easiest of transactions. So what do you say? Are you in? Great. Welcome to The Card Flip, the seller's marketplace. Yo, and hello, everybody. Mike Moynihan here, and welcome to another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast. I'm your host today. Well, I am every week, right? But I like to have guests, and I'm going to have a, a very special guest today. And today's topic is going to be one that I think the hobby in general doesn't like to talk about, <clears throat> and that's the money side of the hobby. That's I'm going to we're going to use the B word a lot today, and that's budget. And <laughs> I don't know why it's such. It feels like it's just this taboo topic among the hobby, but we're going to get knee deep into it today. And I'm going to do it with one of my best friends, not just in the hobby, but just in life. And that is my boy, Garrett Cardcutter. What's, What's up, going Garrett? on, bro? How hey, are you know, I'm good. Before we get too far into this, uh, I, I really need to give a special shout out to your mom, Jane, who is my biggest fan. And she loves it when you and I do content together because she thinks right. we're broskies and hey she's going to be listening and i just wanted to say jane shout out to you thanks for thanks for listening thanks for watching
1: it's totally threw me off my <laughs> i'm not ready now <laughs> let's go let's go <laughs> my mom, my mom, let's go
0: your mom's awesome man <sighs> right as we drink our coffee, Can we talk about budgets. Let's go, man. Yeah. It's uh, by the way, we're recording this like super early in the morning, so yeah. we're, no, we're, both, we're both might not even be awake, and we're both drinking coffee to wake so up. I got like so. bloodshot eyes, man. Oh, hey, congrats on Sydney graduating last night, your daughter. Right, thank you. That's the the
1: first of four kids of uh, my wife and I is to graduate um, high school. All the rest will come in time, but. Definitely feels a little different. feels a little
0: different. Yeah. She graduated in spite of your upbringing. That's great. That's good. (laughs) She overcame that obstacle of being your daughter, but you know, when we talk about, before we get totally deep into budgets, I I always like to connect with why I'm talking to you or whoever, whatever my guest is, the connection that's there And, and yours and I, you and I have a different connection than a lot because, you know, we don't collect the same thing and for, and what's cool. And I've talked about this, about the hobby period is that that doesn't necessarily mean you can't be friends with people just because you don't collect the same stuff. There's always common ground. And I was trying to think earlier, how long we've been friends. Do you remember? Man, I have no idea. Um, I was actually just talking to someone about that two
1: or three days ago. Um, I think we're working on about six years at, at, at a minimum five years. Right. So, I don't know. Being your friend that long, seems about like 20 years, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right. There will be a lot of this, by the way, guys, as we go through this, because if Garrett and I aren't giving each other crap, then there's something wrong, right? That means we're mad at each other for some reason, but it doesn't happen very often. And. You know, it's maybe tell people kind of what you collect and stuff to give them an idea of how different we are, because they all know what I collect if they listen to this show. So this is your first time on the podcast, by the way. So welcome to.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, So I kind of have like a cornucopia of collections. Um, I mean, my base when I first got into this years and years ago when I was a little kid um, was like Mark McGuire. This is back when he was with the Oakland A's. It was devastating for me when he went to the Cardinals. Um, and then I went from there to being a Atlanta Braves fan. I'm from Houston, Texas, so this is kind of weird. Um, but this was back when the Houston Astros were in the National League, so the Braves would come to Houston quite frequently. And that's when they were awesome. You know, they had uh, the Maddox and Smoltz and and – David Justice, who was my favorite. And that's how I kind of got into collecting was McGuire and Justice and all that. And then as I grew up, I collected that for decades. And then I got a little older and I wanted to get into football. You know, baseball wasn't as interesting to me anymore as, as a sport. Um, I started getting into football and then, man, that went to a deep, deep dive of collecting Hall of Fame autographs and all that. Um, and then here in the past year, everything got so expensive as as detailed on a couple hundred thousand videos and podcasts Um, everything got so expensive i had to figure something out Um, because i still wanted to collect something but i couldn't afford it you know my wife and i have four kids um, and we don't exactly make a ton of money Um, and i like to buy a lot of things (laughs) i like to buy a lot of stuff for collecting um, so then I started going down, um, kind of re- uh, buying wrestling cards, and all that. Over it's been uh, about 13 months now, and because um, at the time I got into wrestling, you could buy all that stuff dirt, dirt cheap. You know, like a 1982 Hulk, uh, wrestling All Stars Hulk Hogan rookie, at the time was like 400 bucks. Try to find one now for that, and see what, see how long you're looking um so i kind of stopped everything to do with football autographs and all that and i went 100 percent in um to buying and collecting wrestling and then my kids got into watching wrestling and it just really became an entire family thing we all got absorbed by this and i'm starting to come out of that um now wrestling's expensive at least all the stuff that i was buying is now expensive and i'm actually selling um all that stuff Um, I'd say about 95% of it and and buying different things, you know, um, bought a 2011 Mike Trout rookie in a PSA 10. I'm looking at a 1989 upper deck Griffey, um, rookie in a 10, um, and just trying to move that money around to what I feel. So I'm kind of all over the place as far as what I collect.
0: Good, good. That's okay. It's okay to be a little all over the place. Um, you know, today's topic, you know, I, you and I talk about this a lot off air, like privately, we talk a lot about card budgets and, and there, I mean, I, there's nothing I won't tell you privately, right? But the public idea of putting out there, what you're paying for cards, how much you're buying, what you're spending is, is a relatively taboo topic, I think from what I observe in the hobby. Do you agree with that? Disagree that it's something that people avoid?
1: You're talking like talk. you're, like you're talking to your friends and stuff about their budget and cards or talking about like, how much did you pay for that? How much should you pay for this card kind of thing?
0: Well, again, I think most collectors privately on a one-on-one basis don't mind sharing. Right. But it's when you put it out there publicly on a forum, either uh, a, a, uh, you know, blowout forums, or a YouTube video, or a podcast, I think people tend to not want to do that, uh, which is, well, interesting, if
1: it's that they don't want to do it, I mean, let's be honest, it's not exactly a sexy topic, you know, if Aaron Judge goes off for three home runs last night, and you happen to be laying on 10 of his rookies that you can flip today, um, or trade, or something like that, like, that's fun. That's awesome. That's cool. That's exciting. No one's like, yeah, man, I just got an extra $50 in my card budget this month. That's sweet. You know, it's just not something that's very exciting to talk about. So that's why I think it doesn't come up very often.
0: But we're seeing this new wave of the investor types that are doing content and stuff, and they have no problem. Yeah, I I did a $50,000 trade or a, 40, you know, whatever, these huge numbers that they are going <clears throat> around. And I always, as a 47 year old, old school collector guy, I look at, and these, you know, young guys, I'm going, where the heck are they getting all this money? You know, I think where's it coming from? Uh, are the, you know, and so it doesn't bother me that they're talking about it. I think some people could, Feel like that's coming across as very braggadocious, very uh, it can be off putting, I would think, to some people, I would guess, in terms of like, look at this giant card that I just bought for 10,000, whatever number. Right. Um, and I think it's all you have to be carefully careful how you craft that message to not come across in a negative way. Right. Uh, <clears throat> but in terms of, you know, I did a survey I don't know, a YouTube survey a couple of years ago, and I caught a lot of flack for it because I asked what people's hobby budgets were in just a poll, you know, on YouTube. And I was shocked at the results of how many people have budgets around $100 or $200 a month for cards. Not shocked bad, like I was surprised. I was just surprised that it was that low. Because right. if you think about the hobby today, quite frankly, that's not buying a whole lot, you know yeah
1: not in today's world, but I mean maybe maybe two years ago, I mean, I would say it still wasn't buying a ton then, but your your 200 bucks could go a lot further back then. And I think that's why you and I both know a handful of people that are, are they say priced out, priced out of the hobby. Um, now, are they really priced out? No, they're not priced out. They just have to buy something else. They just have to look elsewhere. Um, but you were talking about the, the modern day guys that you see on YouTube. It's huge resurgence of sports card related content that we see. And I, for one, I, I like it. I'm, I'm 40 years old going on about 80 years old. My wife tells me, so I'm trying to learn a lot of these words and stuff. Like I heard the word. He said, uh, how much was that Jordan? And he said, two bands. And I'm like, two bands. Of what, what do you mean? So <laughs> I had to look into that. That was $20,000 I learned. <laughs> so, um, but someone like, um, Sasha T he's told his story before where he got into this. Cause I believe he had a, a pool business like cleaning pools and he sold all that. He sold it all and he had $15,000 and that's how he got into it. And then you, your profession in life, Mike, like, you know, it takes money to make money it, it definitely helps you know so when you start off with $15,000 um i mean that's not a, a, an absolute ton of money but that's a chunk man that's a chunk of change and so if you make a couple right moves off the get go you know you're starting to work with some some major league money um yeah but a lot of these guys are are walking around with briefcases of cash it seems um, these younger kids, I wish they would let me on, on the secret because I could use a couple briefcases of cash. You know what I mean?
0: for <laughs> sure. Yeah, the, and the inspiration for this topic, by the way, was I, in one of my previous episodes, had asked people to send me questions of things they like to ask me and I could answer a bunch of questions. And I got several questions about, Mike, how do you make your hobby budget? You know, month to month or however people do it. And, or how do you do it they wanted me to answer that question i thought what a great topic just to discuss in general not just i'm i'm happy to share what i do uh and i and i will in a minute but just in general how people do it i think there's kind of three major categories and see if you agree with me on this is you kind of got the the people that are in the hobby for a business right and so they don't I don't know that they have a budget per se. It just might, it's just probably a different frame of mind if you're doing the hobby as a business right. and to make money. But if in the, on the collector side, I think there's kind of two main ways that people go and that's either they're just using discretionary income to pay for their hobby, whatever that is, or they are kind of creating that self-sustaining hobby where they're selling off stuff they don't like anymore. Similar to what you've done with wrestling right. using those funds, in turn, maybe adding a little money from their monthly budget kind of thing to add to their hobby. And I think that's a very common thing in the the world, in the hobby world today. The second part, less common to do what I do, which is just discretionary income that I'm using to fund my hobby. But that self-sustaining thing is something I've talked about before, because let's take you in wrestling. You bought cards for X and now you're selling them for Y some amount greater than that. That's that Delta. That difference is found money. And I think it's easy to spend found money because you didn't have to do anything for it other than hold a sports card for X period of months or, or weeks or days or whatever. And that gives you the freedom to, to buy cards you otherwise wouldn't buy. Do you agree with that? Yeah,
1: um, I definitely agree with it. I mean, for me personally, um, like, I, like I said at the beginning, like we have four kids around here and two of them are teenagers. So it's like having two more adults around here as far as feeding them and all that stuff. Um, so I don't have a whole lot of discretionary income floating around. Um, it's just not in the cards, if you will. Um, so I can't tell you the last time that I took money from my wife and I's everyday accounts to buy sports cards. You know, now I do go to the post office probably four times a week. um, And I might take $30 out of our accounts for stamps or something like that. Or, you know, go to, go to Hobby, not Hobby, Hobby, um, Office Max. It's early y'all. Give me a break. Um, (laughs) Office Max and buy some shipping supplies and stuff like that out of our, our income, but I can't tell you the last time I took money out of our accounts for sports cards. Cause I try to build a, a self sustaining little cog here of money in, money out, you know, sports card money coming in, sports card money going out. So that's kind of how I do it. But you know, I don't know a whole lot of people that, you know, are how you can do it where it's just discretionary money and not a whole lot of money is going what's, I guess, selling a lot of your stuff to buy other stuff. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, that's so the way Julie and I do it is this is going to sound, I don't, this is just truth. I don't, I don't know how else to say it. It, it, I don't know how it's going to come across. I I don't know that I can control how you're going to receive it as a listener slash watcher, but for Julie and I, it's pretty simple. She's told me all that, you know, it wasn't like I could spend the money I spend now always, right? When we had young kids and I was building a career and stuff, we, we didn't have a lot of extra money. We're blessed now that we kind of do. And so with that, Julie's big thing is make sure all the bills are paid, that we're not racking up debt, anything like that. And as long as that's all getting done and she can do a few things with do, do some extra stuff and we can go on trips as a family and all of that, then, you know, she looks at it as it's better than me, you know, spending it on getting drunk or at right. the strip club or whatever else. Right. It's, it's a pretty benign hobby. And Oh, by the way, there's some residual value to that. It's, I'm not just pissing it away. She's seen how the card market is and that, Hey, if we had to, if we needed the money, I'd sell everything in here in a heartbeat. Wouldn't think twice about it if my family needed it. And that would be no problem. But so my budget differs all the time. It changed. I don't have a set number that I go, I can only spend X dollars per month. Uh, It's really kind of, if I see something and I want it, I kind of go get it. It's also like big sports card events, like say the Dallas card show a couple of weeks ago or the national coming up. Right. You know, I, I consciously set money aside to uh, prepare for that. I suppose to be able to bring an amount of money that I want to spend. I mean, at at the Dallas show I spent probably $2,500 at the national. I'll probably spend five, to seven thousand dollars is what I'll probably take. I'm yeah. Kind of figuring that out, and I don't know that that's unusual. I, again, it's like, is that a lot? Well, again, there's always somebody with a bigger boat. I know guys that'll bring fifty thousand dollars to the national, and I know guys that'll bring five hundred dollars to the national.
1: And that goes that goes back to like when you start when you start doing the uh, national content coming up here. I assume in the next couple of weeks, one yes. of the questions that gets asked every year like you could count on it as sure as the sun's gonna come up tomorrow someone's gonna ask well how much money do i need to bring to the show right well i don't know do you make like eight figures a year or do you make minimum wage at arby's and you know you have a kid and you live in a studio apartment and times are harder than hard like i I can't answer that question. Like literally you, the collector are the only one that can answer how much money should you bring to the show? You know, I always thought that was a a tough question to answer because if you're, if someone's asking you that, you have no idea what kind of income they make, what kind of bills they have, what kind of obligations they have. They, it's literally a question you can't answer.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think Let's, let's take a show. Let's take the national. That's a great point. You can have a blast with $500 with $5,000 with 50,000. It doesn't matter how much money you take. You can find stuff. You can have a great time. Um, The the problem I think is people think that th- there's a keeping up with the Joneses kind of mentality right. also in the hobby. And I think that's a huge mistake for people. You need to stay in your lane. You know, by the way, I'm a financial planner by <laughs> That's my career. And so trying to get people to live within their means in real life, that also is true of the hobby. Stay within your means. Don't spend money you don't have. Don't, you know, I don't put anything, I mean, and you probably are the same way. You don't charge or put on credit or that's, I think, a huge mistake for any club. And I know people that do it in the hobby and I completely disagree with it uh, to, you know, put on credit, any type of hobby purchase, because that, that should be considered sunk dollars. Like, you know, those are kind of gone. And unfortunately, I I think there are people in the hobby that do spend on credit and that, that's a, a scary place to live. Do you know people that do that as well?
1: Um, it's funny when you said that, don't charge things, um, I, I went into like the extreme thought in my head of, um, I, we've talked about this guy before, I believe it was you and I, um, Rudy from Alpha Investments, right? Um, and he was some type of broker or CPA or something. He's, he's a money guy, he's a numbers guy. And uh, he has the Alpha Investments channel here on YouTube for magic cards and all that. And he has truckloads of videos where he talks about, you know, having six, seven different credit cards, maxing them all out, and getting the rewards, paying it off immediately as soon as it posts his account, paying it off in cash and all that. But that's very much of a different thing, you know. That's getting the points and then paying it off so no interest hits and all that stuff. Um, but unless you're doing something like that, you know, where you're very smart with, with all that interest, I mean, you're definitely overpaying once that interest hits. And a lot of us, I could definitely speak for myself. And if I were to make a plan like that, life happens way too much around me that the money that I should have to allocate, to pay that off would go, you know, to my son's braces or, you know, this one
0: needs shoes or who, I mean, who knows, you know,
1: yeah, yeah, I try to stay of, away from those credit cards.
0: That's where I'm going with that is the, look, if, you, if you're if you leveraging credit and paying it off, that's a totally different thing than what I'm talking about, which is go out and spend $20,000. I'm just using big numbers. It doesn't matter the number, whatever it is, if it puts you in trouble and you're buying wax, for example, and hoping to hit the big card and you know, oh, I turned my $20,000 into $4,000. Now I got this huge bill out there that I can't pay, that's the problem I would hate to see someone get into because now you're, you're just completely screwed yourself. And it, it to me, it should be a cash kind of business, you know, a cash hobby where you're just spending money out of your budget. Right. Um, and I'll
1: say like, like your point of view, I think are very different because of your job, because of your occupation, what you do day in day out, um, talking to people about budgets and income and investing and all that. Where I'm different, you know, I don't have a background like that. I've been in the military for 19 years, so I don't have, you know, numbers isn't my thing. Um, that's why we pay people to do it. You know, it's not for everybody. So I, <laughs> this is like the complete opposite advice that Mike just gave. I look at it like, hey man, if it makes you happy, and charging it gets the job done, then charge away, man. Like whatever makes your little heartbeat a little, little faster, a little happier, then do your thing. But just know, at the end of the day, it's probably not the smartest thing to do. But if that's what you want to do, man, then go right ahead. <laughs> yeah I we heard. are little cPA heart
0: I'm sitting here cringing as I'm hearing you say that. It's like, oh my gosh. Uh, but you know again, I think no matter what your budget is for the hobby you you can have fun with it. Uh, again, I just happen to have i'm blessed to have a little more discretionary income than others and and again, there's people with way more higher budgets than me and they can buy stuff I can never dream of buying and all across the spectrum, right? It doesn't matter. Just stay in your lane. My, my advice is just stay and live within your means, hobby within your means, I guess I'm trying to say. Um, and, you know, I, I get people asking me all the time, why don't you sell off some of your excess autographs or this or that and be able to buy, you know, the big thing or whatever. And, Cause I'm a big quantity of quality guy. I have a lot of stuff and it's, well, why wouldn't you, you know, you don't need 10 X, Y, Z hall of famer autographs. You just need one good one. Why don't you sell them off and, and buy something you don't have? And my answer is, and this, again, I don't know how this is going to come across, but like, well, I don't want to do that. Cause I'll just wait until I can just afford the big thing myself and keep all of it. You know, I don't want to necessarily, I, I get the idea and it's incredibly logical. I just, I don't need to do that. I can just wait till I have the money to buy the big thing or buy the next thing. I don't need to sell stuff to do that, to fund that. Um,
1: right. And you're, you're in a different position than I am where I just couldn't couldn't do that.
0: And that's okay. That's the point is we have this different people, you know, you do one, all of it's okay. Right. It's the way you do it is great. It works for you and your family. The way I do it is fine. It, you know, it's not a right or wrong, right? It's just, we have different mentality. Everybody does. And that's kind of the point. Um, I had another idea and another question to ask you. It just totally escaped me. That's why show notes is so important when you're doing podcasts is to have some type of direction, Um, I, but I totally blanked. Why don't you talk for a minute and I'll try to think. Oh, don't do that to me, man. I'm still waking up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's up to you, brother. If you want to keep going for another hour, we can, if you want to stop at 30 minutes, we can do that too. It doesn't matter to me. I'm always here.
0: Well, uh, gosh, darn it, Mike. This is pretty, you know, riveting YouTube right now, I'm sure, and riveting podcasts for me to sit here and just bumble over my thoughts. But, uh, but uh, do you find the self-sustaining thing that you're working on in terms of your budget and how you make it work, is that hard sometimes to sell some cards that you may not really want to, but in order to get the next thing, you kind of have to?
1: Yeah and like i find i you know like i said already i collect in phases um so if i just happen to grow out of a phase um you know maybe some of the stuff's down you know when i'm ready to sell but i'm the type where i'm not doing this as a business right now so if i lose 10 percent 15 percent and to move on then i'm like hey man that's It is, it is what it is, you know? So I'm the type that I don't just flip it or, or yeah, I guess you could use that term flip it when things are up 10, 20, 30%. I just flip it whenever I'm done with it, you know, emotionally, you know? And like, even right now, um, I think in the past 30 days, I've sold about five figures worth of wrestling cards And, you know, I still have all my 82 and 83 wrestling all-star cards. Um, I still have all my cardinal cards. Um, The What is that? 97, 98, the series one, series two, series three cardinal cards. Those aren't terribly expensive. I just really enjoy them. So at the end of the day, I'm going to sell probably 95% of my wrestling stuff and keep those because I just really like those. And move on to something else. But you I didn't. To, I just happen to be lucky that this time, when I'm getting out of it, wrestling's up. And yeah, and not,
0: like, ex- exactly. What I was going to ask hard. you is that that kind of worked, and it's true, probably for anybody in the hobby right now. If you bought something two years ago, highly likely, if you were to sell it today, you're going to be at least where you were, and probably up some amount, right? So I think that's great given the hobby environment we're in, but I do worry about down the road, if there is, you know, a softening of prices and we kind of normalize and whatnot, people going, Oh man, I want to get into something else, but I don't have the money. I want to sell this. Oh crud, it's 70% of what I paid for it. That kind of sucks. You know, Uh, that's that self-sustaining part that becomes not self-sustaining. If you lose money on cards, You, you start, well, I have less money now for the hobby than I did before. Right that's not as a good, good of a deal. Um, I just wish we were all independently wealthy and we could just buy whatever we want. Right. Then that'd be all right. Win the lottery.
1: It's this thing called life. We're all, <laughs> we're all built different hands, my friend. And the Indeed. thing is life is you have to play with the cards you are dealt.
0: So awesome.
1: That's, that's how it goes, man.
0: Well, I appreciate you being on the show. I know this was a relatively short episode, but you know everybody's going to have their opinion on this. And I just wanted to share kind of how I do it, maybe get an opinion from you of how you do it. And it gave me a chance to have you on the show because, again, we, you're not a vintage baseball guy. Although you love it and you appreciate it and respect it, it's, it's not what you collect. So having you on the show to talk about that would uh, – not be as good as something like this where you do have experience in terms of building a, you know, we all, everybody in the hobby has to deal with the money part of it. And, uh, so it's great that I was able to have you on and tell everybody if you could kind of how they can find you on the social media worlds and, and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, pretty much, um, card cutter, one word on just about everything. Um, my YouTube channel, um, Instagram and Facebook. That's really all I have. Um, and I'm more on those Instagram and Facebook just as a, a lurk and just lurk in the, in the weeds, looking out at
0: everyone like a creeper. I really don't post a lot on those, um, but that's where I'm at. Hey, real quick. And this is slightly off topic, certainly from budgets, but it's, I think it's something you might be able to speak to as intelligently as you can speak to anything, which is, always a crapshoot right yeah,
1: not much for me
0: right but no um you also do psa dna group submissions under slab city sports i do card. and i've submitted to you multiple times anybody if you want to submit psa dna stuff which is autograph on the autograph side man garrett will take great care of you and i, I definitely want to give him a plug for that because they, he and his wife tiff do a great job with people yeah, thank you the, Given the current state of the PSA world, how has PSA DNA differed, changed? How is it different maybe than just, we all know PSA is shut down. How has that affected the PSA DNA side of it?
1: Yeah, so I think what the average collector, may not know, is is PSA is going to be kind of the parent company of what I'm about to talk about. And then off of that, you have two branches. You have PSA and you have PSA DNA. And although it's the same company, they're ran very, very different. As a lot of us know, PSA is pretty much shut down for the most part. Um, PSA DNA is not. Um, I think since February, I have it right here. I've submitted four bulk submissions to them. And I have one that's going to be going out in the next two days. So... Basically, the difference is for for PSA DNA, if you want to if you have a baseball autographed, they'll throw a sticker on it. If you have a photo autographed, they'll put a sticker on it. But if you have cards, um, what they'll do on the top is they'll do they'll just say trading card at the top for PSA DNA. And the reason is, is because when it goes to PSA DNA, they're simply just authenticating the autograph. You know, so every item that you submit to them could be a reprint, a card with a real autograph on it. Well, they don't care if the card is a reprint. Um, They're simply just authenticating the autograph where if I send it to PSA, once they're open, you know, they're going to authenticate that the card is real and that the autograph is real. And that's on those slabs you'll see, you know, 1967 tops, card number, blah, blah, blah. Because they've authenticated that that's a 1967 tops. So, yeah, PSA DNA is rocking and rolling. You know, I can't really say the same for PSA. So,
0: right. Yeah, I just wanted people to know out there that it's, you know, if you have autographs that submissions are still happening, would you say that period of, you know, from submission to return has gotten longer?
1: Um, for a PSA DNA submission, I think we're averaging about four to six months. You know, in the past year, we've actually had two bulk submissions come back within 30 days. Um, they're kind of, it's kind of funny. They're kind of all over the place. Um, but before you let me go, I will say this, if you have cards that are signed, you know, in person or via TTM or anything like that, if it's a big card, if the card itself is is really expensive, you know like a nolan ryan rookie you know he signs through his foundation um steve carlton rookie he signs through a, um, a independent autograph guy via ttm um, i would wait till psa opens um, a lot of people you know a lot of these paid signings are going on people are getting like justin herbert um silver optics signed i'd probably wait to get psa open because i will say um if you had what's Ryan's rookie year, Mike? Help me out. 67, 68. 68. 68. Um, So if you had a 68 Ryan and you sent it to PSA DNA, it's going to say trading card at the top. Well, people like Mike here, they don't want that. They want to know that the card is real. So there's a, there's a difference in price on how those sell. So if you have big cards with big autographs on them, I would wait most definitely until PSA opens. Um, but if you just there's a lot of guys that submit to me that these cards are going to go with them to their grave and they don't care. And they're submitting huge cards with huge names on them and they don't care. So teach their own. Um, but that's just kind of my word, words of advice there.
0: Yeah. Just to clarify for people out there, again, like you said, Garrett, PSA DNA does the autograph authentication. But if you're doing a dual service, which is both autograph authentication Card authentication. Correct. That's going to two different places. The PSA DNA people will grab it. They'll authenticate. Now, what order this happens, I don't know, but they'll authenticate the autograph and then, or first, whatever, whichever order it is, they will authenticate the card. And so the PSA side of that, which is authenticating the card, is shut down. So you can't do a dual service right now. It'll sit in, in fact, they won't even take them. Right. So yeah, I I do think.
1: I do think it's coming around. Um, I do think PSA and I'm, when I'm saying PSA, I'm talking about from autograph perspective. I'm not talking about card grading. Um, I do think PSA from an autograph standpoint is going to open up within probably the next 30 days. And I mean, open up, open up, not like a lot of the card graders are talking about, Oh, maybe trickle into this service or trickle into that service. Um, because my PSA rep was talking to me just a couple of days ago and we were going to do a, a dual service submission and then he had to get his boss's approval. Um, cause there's new prices out for everything. Um, then he's like, yeah, dude, they shot it down. They're not taking them right now, but it is going to be coming. It is going to be coming soon. So we'll see.
0: Yeah. I know that's off the budget topic, but I, I think, with your experience, I think it'd be it's it's good to talk about that as well because you kind of are on the inside, kind of knowing what's going on. Um, I know the answer to this question, but I'll ask it anyway. Are you going to the national?
1: No, no, no. I'm not. Um, like I stated already, I am. I'm in the military, and actually, in two day, three days from now. I'm going to be going to fallon nevada there's a naval air station out there in the middle of the desert um, i'm gonna be going there for two and a half months um all alone so yeah it's not in the cards this year and then unfortunately next year i will probably be on a deployment overseas on the uss george washington um during the national But let me tell you, that 2023 year, (laughs) man, going back to the budget, we're saving now.
0: (laughs) Are you really? Like, I'm serious. Like, that's a good thing for people to think about. Are you really putting money away for the 2023 national, consciously?
1: Man, this is going to make me sound like a lunatic. Um, Yes. Yes. Um, Like I said, my wife and I, we don't have a, a ton of money, you know, so... Um we have a little CD, a little certificate um, through Navy Federal. That's who we bank with. And every payday, you know, we'll throw, I'd say probably a minimum of 25 bucks um, and a maximum of 50 bucks. Just so I mean it's literally just enough, like it doesn't bother us one bit. Um, but you know, I get paid twice a month, she gets paid twice a month. Um, and so when each one of us gets paid, we just throw a little little nugget in in that well. Um, you know, I mean, it's already a thousand dollars right now from doing that. So, um, that's not chump change that'll get my airfare and my admission to the show. I still just got to worry about this hotel. Maybe we'll get some tents or something. Uh, (laughs) Well, awesome. yeah, I appreciate you having me, Mike.
0: You're Uh, very welcome.
1: Next time, bring me on for a little bit sexier topic, man. Come on. (laughs) Hey,
0: we did get to talk about some autograph stuff. We did. We did some of your your really good stuff. So, everybody, thanks so much for listening, for watching, wherever you are out there. Uh, I truly appreciate it. And, Garrett, thanks for being on. And thanks for having me. we will catch you guys soon. Audios? No. <laughs> what do you say at the end of your videos? I, I always say, keep collecting. No, you don't. <laughs> Toodles. All right, catch you guys.